0: Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, today we're going to finish up two sermons, two series in one. How about that?
1: <laughs>
0: in the amount of time we have left, how do you like that? I planned for this. I know exactly what was going on. I, I, I knew exactly what we were doing through today with, with missions guests and, and presenting the Lunch Buddies uh, program and, and doing that. So we're going to finish up our We the People series. We started last week. And with that, it's the final message of the You Belong Here series because they both fit perfectly in this moment. One of the things that the early church struggled with Was the culture in which they found themselves. We are no different. We we have a tendency to look like our culture instead of allowing God to transform our thinking to be more like His. Well, I'm gonna start with a little bit of a a story. Uh, uh, About four years ago, Ansel and I sensed the, the, the leading of God to be foster parents. And so we thought we would get involved in foster care and use our home to provide a great place for kids to live. That ended up in foster care for whatever reason. One of the things we found interesting was the training. right? We go through some training, and we thought, you know, we we know we need training. We're not like perfect parents by any stretch, but like, you know, I mean, I've only ever forgotten my kids at school and a few things like that, okay? But, I mean, for the most part, I've done pretty good. All right, but... um. But well, we're learning about things that you can and cannot do in foster care. And, like, I didn't realize people would even think things like this. But, like, in foster care, they make you sign off on things that you can't do. And here's a picture of one of them, one of the things you can't do. Okay, no, you can have a dog cage for your dog, but you can't put kids in there. And I was stunned when you had to sign off on that, that you wouldn't do that. I was like, who would do that to a child? Are you kidding me? They're like, no, no, the reason it's on the list is because someone's done it. I'll give you another one. There's a point to this. I'll give you another one. That you also have to sign off on that you're going to feed the foster kids the same food that you eat yourselves. Because they don't want you cooking up steak for you and making the foster kids eat peanut butter and jelly, like I was stunned by that. I mean, because see, when a kid comes into our home, we, we treat them like they're our children. And in fact, at Christmas time, they, they get the same amount of gifts that our kids got at Christmas time. It's just, just we just thought that's what normal people did. We we just welcomed them in and and and, and they're part of your family, so you treat them like their family, and so you do all this. But but interesting, this whole food problem. It happened more often than what you would care to know. And truth be told, it's been happening for centuries. Because there's always been a food problem. Because the tendencies are, is we want what we want. And
1: we don't always like sharing. You would think that would not be the case in the church. But in the first century,
0: in a place called Corinth, they dealt with some issues with food. The church in Corinth would gather for communion, sort of like we have sitting before us today. They would gather in, in, in Corinth, in the church, for communion. And it usually revolved around a meal. So they would sit down and have a meal together. And it, it, the problem was, it wasn't the meal that was the problem. The problem was they were allowing the culture in which they had come from to, to influence how they would practice that meal and communion. See, because most of the believers in Corinth had come from either a, a, a Greek or Roman background, and, and it was not uncommon in that setting to, to get together for a dinner. And let's just say today we're having a dinner, and, and, and in here there's, we're going to eat in here, and then there's other people who are going to have to eat in, in the foyer. Okay, and what would happen is the rich people would go first, and they would get all they wanted, and then the poor people would have to sit in another room and eat by themselves. And that happened in normal homes, and in that culture, that was just a normal thing. People would gather for meals, and, and, and they, would, they would separate themselves by economics, essentially. Well, the thing had infiltrated into the church in Corinth, and they were struggling with the same thing. And Paul writes to them about it. Paul, Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he, and he says to them in, in verse 17, in, 1 Corinthians 11, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper, for some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. Paul evidently previously had given instructions to the church at Corinth and they had either forgotten them or ignored Paul's instructions and did what they wanted. So so he writes to them to correct the problem. In in fact, a meal that should have developed and fostered a community actually did the opposite. It was causing more harm than good. See, there were divisions, and those divisions were along economic and social lines. And Paul said, I can't praise you for what's going on. In verse 22, he continues, and he says, what? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. We, we see then that the problem was the church was interested in their own satisfaction and not really in the Lord's Supper. They were selfish. They, they didn't need to bring all that they did, but they brought it. They, they, they could have left the really good food at home and ate it later, but they brought it either to show off or to make others feel bad. And We don't know what the problem was. We don't know why they did it. And it's too so easy to get caught up in, in that and, and, and some of the other things. And We need to understand that the people were going hungry. Instead of being considerate of others, they worried about themselves. And you know what? Being considerate of others really matters to God. Being aware of another person's need is important. Coming together isn't just about us. It's what helps others that matters as well. In fact, Paul is saying that if you're interested in doing only what's making sure you get your own and you get what's yours, keep it at home. Look, here, here's the deal. It's sort of like a potluck without the luck, okay? You know what I'm saying? So, so you know, just think about a potluck, right? We come together for a potluck dinner, and, and everybody brings food. And one of the great things about churches is, man, people can cook, right? And so when you have a potluck, you're like, oh, man, today's going to be a good day, okay? We just, we're going to eat, we're going to have plenty, and, and it's just going to be a great time. But, but, but what was happening is they would bring it
1: and they would eat their own food and exclude others from getting any. They didn't want to share. Look, Angela makes this incredible
0: piece of pie. Okay? And if I was really mean today, I'd have brought the pie with me. But all I brought was a picture. There's a picture of the pie that should go on the screen. There it is. I had to go looking for it. Now, the, the one on the left, ah, that's just whatever. The one on the right, the one on the right is just, just, just it's incredible. Like, my mouth is going to water as I'm telling you about it. It's, it's French silk pie. Those are chocolate curls on top. That is not fake whipped cream. That's real stuff that was whipped right there when it was put on top of the pie. If you're a diabetic, you should not have this. Can I apologize to you. But but the point is, that pie is amazing. And I wish really, honestly, right now, I wish I'd have had a piece. Just so I could just stick my fork in and start eating it. Right this moment. Because that would be a perfect picture of what was going on in the church in Corinth. See, they would bring something amazing like that. How bad of that would be of me to bring that pie today? At least I just brought a picture, right? There's, you can't taste the picture. You, you, but how bad it would it have been if I'd have brought that pie and I'd have set that here, right here, between the communion stuff? <laughs> and I would have not shared that with you. And I would have eaten that in front of you. That's essentially what was taking place in the church in Corinth. Now, they didn't have French silk pie. Look, look, instead of bringing French soaked pie or instead of bringing something amazing, they could have just gone by Dylan's and, and, and gotten some chicken, right? I mean, they could have just brought fried chicken and been fine. I know they didn't bring fried chicken. And if you brought fried chicken, don't, don't, don't feel bad. I, I like fried chicken. But, but here's the point the point is that they could have just brought anything. But instead, they brought something that was their best. And instead of wanting to share their best with people, they wanted to use it all for themselves.
1: And Paul says that can't be the case. In fact, it goes on in verse 22. I think we already read that. Sorry. <laughs> that's what happens you
0: walk away your notes for a while. Look, you've heard these verses. You've heard this stuff. You've heard these things around communion if you've been in a communion service. These next verses, verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. an agreement, confirmed with my blood, do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Now we're going to go right back to those verses in just a moment. But we're going to go on and look at the end of the chapter. The end of Paul's instructions. Verse 27 says, so anyone who eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. But if you would examine yourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being Discipline so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Look, The context of the instructions here gives us the greatest clues as to what Paul is focusing on. I believe, as, as Gordon Fee does, a theologian, that Paul's focus here is on the church and not on individual sin. Yes, we need to come into worship and every worship gathering with our hearts as close to God as possible. We need to come to the communion table and we need to make sure our lives are pure and holy before God. I, I, I admit that. We need to confess our sin and we need to be aware of it in our own lives and, and when we become aware, we need to confess sin. But Paul here... When he wrote the words of verse 29, we see a focus on the church. The examining that should be taking place is how are we treating other members of the body of Christ? Are we welcoming people who aren't like us? Are we recognizing the fact that everyone is equal at the foot of the cross? When we come to these moments and when we, when we come into a, a church setting and we gather for communion, do we consider ourselves, our wants, our wishes, more important than the needs of the people around us? The big sin of the Corinthian church in this portion of Scripture was selfishness in the public gathering. They weren't required to do what they were doing. They didn't have to bring Better food than everyone else. They didn't have to bring more food, but they could and they should bring more food if they were wealthy and able. They also didn't need to assert their cultural preference or their cultural position and importance so that others would feel lessened. The church is a place where everyone is even. Look, one, a person may have more money on the outside, but in the church it really shouldn't matter. We may have different jobs. But in the church, it really shouldn't matter. The church of Corinth was made up of people who were from every background possible in the first century. But when they came together for the Lord's Supper, they were all equal. But look, when you think about Paul's writings in other places, it's the reason why he writes, There is no slave nor free. There's no Jew nor Greek, there's no male nor female because at the cross, everyone is equal. Jesus paid the price for our sins. So when, when they gathered in that first century, communion was so important to them because they understood that when they walked out of the place they were, they were going to face persecution. They were going to face difficulty they knew that the people in that room, when they gathered for communion, can you picture with me for just a moment what it would be like to live in a Muslim nation right now
1: and you gather for communion? And you're believing that every person in that room with you, the 10, the 15,
0: the 20 that are gathered, that every one of them is a follower of Jesus. Because if they're not, they're going to turn you in. and You're all going to die. See, that's the focus, and that's, the, that's what they were facing in that first century, the same kind of thing, that they were gathering together. When they gathered for communion, they needed to understand that everybody mattered, that everybody
1: that was there was so important because the body of Christ was the hope of the world. The body of Christ was the hope of the world. The the church in action,
0: Jesus leading his church was was going to bring the hope of the world to people. They were going to bring people to to come to salvation. They were going to see things happen. And every person in the
1: room mattered. From the youngest to the oldest, they all mattered. And they didn't know what was going to happen when they walked out. And they needed to trust that Jesus was with them they needed to look backwards to what Jesus
0: had done on the cross they needed to look backwards and remember that he had risen from the dead they needed to look back they, need, they needed to look back and remember all that Jesus had done but they needed to look forward
1: knowing that he was coming again that they had hope that there was hope that they knew that he was going to
0: come. And no matter what they experienced on this planet, it was going to be okay. And look, no matter what we experience on this planet, it's going to be okay. Look, I care about what goes on this week in our world and what happens in the election. I care, right? But I know this no matter what happens. Jesus is still ruling and reigning. He's still seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Look, it, it, it matters, right? We want to do what's right. We want, to, we want to honor God with all that we have and the privilege we have. We want to vote. We want to do those things. We, we want to stand up for righteous things in our world. We, we want to do that. We have to do that. As followers of Jesus, we must do that. But we must also realize,
1: no matter what, this gathering is probably more important than the Tuesday gathering. Okay, so as we, as we take a moment here in just a few seconds and we celebrate communion together, it's to bring a unity within the body with a focus towards what Jesus wants to do through
0: us because what he did on that cross is what brings us together. It's what levels the playing field. It's what brings us into this place. And someday when we stand in heaven, we're going to stand there as equal participants. We're going to stand there because he has paid the price for all of our sin. Look, I don't know about you, but I'm stunned that Jesus died for
1: me. Like, I know me. I know what I was like. Jesus died for my sin. He died for yours as well.
0: But my assumption is you're better than me because I don't know your sins.
1: But the reality is we're all even. Look, a singular sin separates us from God. And the singular death of Jesus brings redemption, brings us hope, brings us life. So this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. As we get ready to celebrate communion, here's what I want you to do. Each of us makes up the body of Christ. We are members of his body. Each of us matters to God. And every one of us ought to matter to one another. No one is expendable.
0: Every person has value and matters to the local church and the global church. Today, as we celebrate communion, I want every one of us to evaluate our lives based upon how we feel about every member of the body. How do we feel about other members of the body? Allow the Holy Spirit to convict us about thoughts and attitudes we have towards others. How selfish are our attitudes toward other believers if we are followers of Jesus then all of our other differences ought to be put aside and join in unity what Jesus has done for us. So while you're being served, would you examine your life, examine your heart as it is in regards to the body? because the body of Christ matters. That's why he said in verse 29, for if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. It's important for us to evaluate our lives. Look inside ask the Holy Spirit to help us. You guys come and serve us.